Hi guys, and welcome back to Motor Up Sports. I have first-time guest Chad, Matt Stafford. What's up? What up, Kenny? What up? How's it going? Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to get right to it. We have Lions talk, Tigers talk today. We're going to lead right off with the Lions talk. So I don't know if these are rumors. I don't know if this is just a bunch of Lions fans stirring the pot and just making rumors up. But we've been on Twitter today, a little bit of Trey Lance talk which is interesting to me. Good backup quarterback, maybe the guy who could push Goff out of there in a few years, but I, I'm kind of not in on those sweepstakes. You're going to have to give up picks. I don't want to give up picks for a guy who, what has he done in his NFL career so far? Now, talk about his potential, but he hasn't done anything to live up to it yet. So I'm kind of out on the Trey Lance sweepstakes. I'd rather spend my money on Teddy Bridgewater or like a guy like Aiden O'Connell in the draft. That's where I'm that's where I'm at with the money. Um, I don't want to give up assets. I think we have a lot of depth issues right now. And going after a guy like Trey Lance and giving up assets would not be a smart move financially and pick wise. So I'm curious, what do you think of the Trey Lance rumors? Now, first, I'm going to say, I'm not really sure I believe him that San Francisco actually wants to deal him. You know, like, you spend a third overall pick on a quarterback, you're not just going to give up on him because Mr. Irrelevant had a few good games, you know. I'm not, I don't buy into it, but in this scenario, which he's on the market, I'm for it for the right price, you know. If, so let's say tomorrow, so I go as up to, I'll give a third this year and a fifth next year. Anything more, if we give a second or anything more, that's a problem. I We cannot give up more than a third-round pick for someone like that's going to sit behind Goff, honestly. Okay. I don't think they'd accept that. Because that's a package. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think they'd accept that. Because that's, I, I'd say, a third and a fourth. But, you know, right. you know, with Sam Ferris picking up the phone, they're asking for a first because it was a top three pick, and they're probably asking for a third or a fourth. Absolutely. And the Lions, I have depth issues all over. I need to fill those needs in the draft. I think the big reason we pulled that fifth round pick was we want to fill more depth issues. And I mm -hmm. think we grabbed that pick. You want to know why? I think they like somebody a lot in the fifth round that he think will go fifth round range. And I think they grabbed that pick because they like somebody. Remember what Dan Campbell said? They only liked like six or seven guys. What was the thing he said? Like, at the combine, he only thought there was a few guys in this draft that fit our model. Yeah, they had. It was a short list of guys that fit their what culture they're trying to build. But you seen? Let's talk about Brad Holmes and his mid to late round picks. He's hit it out of the park with some of these third to fifth round picks. Even giving up a third through fifth round, something like that. Those are picks that Holmes has consistently turned into solid starters for our team. Given that for a backup quarterback that could never see the field in Detroit, that's kind of tough. So, okay, I'm curious. Are you willing to get a quarterback? Okay, because I, I said it last episode, what my dream was. If we stuck with our four picks in the top two rounds, which is not going to happen. You know there's going to be moves. There's no way. Yep. He, he's been aggressive in every draft. Remember, the first draft, he was kind of aggressive on the line. It's like he built those up from the trench. Mm -hmm. Last year's draft, he got the guy he wanted out of Jamo. What What is he going to do this draft, right? Because you know with with two picks in the first round, two picks in the second, a third, a fifth, and a sixth. That's a lot of assets. That's a lot of pieces you can move and do whatever you feel like on draft night. You know, I continuously have come on here and said, 
he is going to go all in on his assets on draft night. He has everything he needs to move around. My thought is, is we're moving the three. We're getting Willie Anderson, and we're going to put him on that defense with, with Aiden Hutchinson. That, that's my dream. Now, granted, Jalen Carter sitting there at six. I'm licking my chops. I'm going Jalen Carter. But we've seen the odds. Did you see the odds that came out with Vegas? I did. It, it's looking interesting. It was Witherspoon at that having the best odds to go to Detroit. I'm not sure how I feel about that. We kind of learned our lesson taking a corner early. And I think if somebody like Carter or let's say we trade up for Will Anderson or even Tyree Wilson, I think you have a chance here in Detroit to solidify that D-line, get that someone in the front seven, another player that could be such an impact player from day one. That opportunity can't be passed up. You know, corners take forever to develop. We saw that with Okuda. Okuda never had a chance, like, given he had the Achilles injury. But I'd rather put someone on the other end of the line of Aiden Hutchinson, build up that pass rush, and we can get a corner day two, day three. I'd rather, or even pick 18. Who knows who could fall down there? But I think that top six pick, whether we trade up or pick at six, it's got to be an impact player. Got to go best available. I agree. So, so here's the odds that Vegas put out. So for the number six pick, this doesn't specify the team who's picking there. So if we trade it, this is still the pick. Number six pick odds. Devin Witherspoon's about even at minus 110. He's pretty much, I, I would say, with number six odds, that's a heavy favorite, in my opinion. Those are really, really good. Absolutely. Christian Gonzalez, plus 300. Okay. Your top two picks right now are corners right now, if you're looking at the odds. Then you get to Jalen Carter at plus 380. And we've heard a lot of chatter about Tyree Wilson. At least early on in the offseason, we had a lot of talk about that. Vegas doesn't think there's really much of a chance that he goes to Detroit with plus 550. So Devin Witherspoon's your heavy favorite. I, I think personally it makes sense at number six to go with him. Now, you might disagree with that, and I get it. We have the Okuda PTSD, but this is not the same regime. These guys have hit draft pick after draft pick. You know, obviously they've missed one, and, and I'm not going to sit there and fault them for it. They missed Levi Ansarike. It is what it is. You miss, but in the next round, you had the luxury. You got Lee McNeil, so you're all good, right? No problem with what you did in that draft. I feel comfortable putting Kirby back there with Devin Witherspoon. They have the chemistry from college. Remember, they played together last two years ago. So you're, you got Devin Witherspoon and Kirby have the chemistry from day one, and you just upgraded Okuda, like, by a lot. I I definitely see that. Absolutely. I you know, getting a lot if he develops to a lockdown corner, I mean, think about what we got with this team. We who was it? Cam Sutton, we signed in the offseason too. That DB room instantly becomes so one of the best ones in the NFL. You got Tracy Walker coming back too. Like we have some solid pieces back there. And my worry is just how long the, the corners take to develop. And we're in win now mode. This team is shown through free agency. We want to win now. The Even the Vegas odds for who's going to win the division were by far and away the favorites in the NFC North. I think at six, the most important thing is to grab the best player available, even if it's a quarterback, honestly. we okay, got to so get the, Who's your best available? Best available at six? So who are we saying? Like, let's let's, let's go. Give me, go. Like, give me your top five. Give me your top five and then tell me who so, your best available at six for the Lions. I still go. I still think Bryce Young is going to go number one overall. 
Agreed. Fair. Texans, Texans are going to, you know, I've seen the smoke screen about Stroud. It's going to be Young 1, Stroud 2. Three is, who's picking that three again? Um, Arizona. I think Arizona. Arizona. They probably go Will Anderson unless they trade out. Yeah. Will Anderson going three. I think we could see either. You see Jalen Carter go going to Indy. Well, you're going to go quarterback. You think, quarterback, you think Indy takes Levis or Levis? Or do you think they I go think somewhere else? Richardson. Richardson? See, Richardson, I, I'm not high on him at all as a prospect. I don't think he's that good a quarterback. Me neither, but I think the, the scouts like him. All right, let's say Richardson there. Seattle's at five. They Seattle, if Jalen Carter's there at five, Seattle's taking him. You think so? Absolutely. They need I don't think he worked out for them. I mean, who else do you think they'd take? I mean Tyree. You think Tyree Wilson goes to Seattle? I think Carter sleeps in your lap. Okay, let's say that. Let's say the Tyree Wilson goes at five. We're at six. Those five players are off the board. It's a slam dunk. You gotta go Jalen Carter. I agree, but okay, There's let's no say way around other it. opposite scenario, Jalen Carter goes Seattle, who are you going at six? We're going at six, Jalen Carter, Seattle. Now that, oh, okay, between Tyree Wilson and Witherspoon, I am fully open to either. Whatever the, this, I trust Brad Holmes enough, whatever he wants to do between those two guys, even Gonzalez. I mean, that at that point, I'm so open to, if there's no big prospect that we just can't miss on on the board, I'm fine with, Holmes and um, Campbell just taking what they want, trying to fill a need. But we, I don't think Witherspoon or Wilson are good enough to pass on one of these top prospects for. See, I'm, I'm starting to get the feeling that there's no way we're sticking at six. Because, like, no, I, reach at, you can't reach that high to corner. Especially no. the guy that, like, we weren't even talking about Devin Witherspoon as a top six pick until all the chatter was with the Lions a couple weeks ago. Like, trade the 10 and still get him. Exactly. Boom. Like, but but the question is now, okay, Will Levis is probably still on the board at six. Absolutely. Or Richardson. Or one Richardson. of those two is still on the board. One of those two, knock on wood, are still on the board at six if you're sitting at six. There's probably a team, and I'll give you some examples, that might be licking their chops at six, at sitting there at Will Levis. I don't think he's that good, but somebody might move up. Here's some teams that I think might have a chance of moving up to get them. The Jets. If this Aaron Rodgers trade doesn't go through, why wouldn't the Jets go out and get a quarterback or breed their number two under Rodgers? Because you know Rodgers isn't a long-term quarterback. Are the Jets willing to move up to get their, their Will Levis? Maybe a team like Denver. Denver might bounce off. Could be even someone like Washington, someone like Tennessee. There's a lot of teams that maybe not quarterback needy right now, but they're kind of in, in the very near future. They're going to need a, a guy to take a long-term job. And if the value's there for them, you know, like trading up from, let's say, 11, where Tennessee is to six, they could probably get that for good value. And I would not be surprised at all for us to be waiting until the last second to put that pick in because we're going to be on the phones trying to make a trade for six. Oh, 100%. It's just a weird spot for us to be in because if we're sitting at five, you're sitting at you're, – because your top five and then your drop-off to six is ridiculous. It is. Like, your drop-off is scary bad, unless Jalen Carter slips in your lap. You know, I don't like – I'm not hoping for that. 
It's like the same thing in the NBA. It's like the drop off after Wemby and Scoot's massive. So I much. think it's a little better in the NFL where you can still get some start like solid starters wherever. But NBA, I'm my buddy who's over right now, he's shaking his head. He's a Brandon Miller guy. <laughs> but no, but I, I I truly think the drop off like Tyree Wilson, the Jalen Carter's like a drop off. Oh, half. absolutely. And I'm just hoping some team is licking their chops at Will Levis and they're like, oh, we want him. Because I I think there will be a team that would do it. Maybe Minnesota. Someone's going to be desperate for a quarterback. Somebody's desperate. Your best, because you're honestly in a case scenario right now at six where it's like, if Jalen Carter's there, you have to make that the pick, in my opinion. You never heard a thing about his work ethic before this happened. You never heard a thing about any – you didn't hear a bad thing about Jalen Carter until about three months ago. You no. never heard a bad thing. Now, now, granted, now, granted, showing up to the biggest day of your life, nine pounds overweight and out of breath, is a shitty look. Now, I, I will be the first to say that. I, I 100% think it's a bad look. But you, you also got to understand, he's 21 years old. He's, he, he made a mistake. How many times have we seen this in the NFL? A guy makes a mistake. They fall in the draft. You want to know my favorite example of it? Randy Moss. Perfect example of it. Laramie oh, Tunsil. Yeah. Laramie Tunsil, I was going to say, yeah. Laramie Tunsil, another amazing example. Lyle Collins, great example. Mm-hmm. Guys who have character issues and slip. Tyreek Hill, horrible man, but I ended up having a great NFL career, and it worked out perfectly fine for Kansas City and now Miami. So Joe Mixon, another character yeah. issue. Piece of shit. Did his time, ended up being perfectly falling out. Yeah. I think if you're Brad Holmes and you've watched the film, he finishes every play. He plays until the whistle. If you watch him, there's nothing on that film that screams he's lazy. You that gotta watch the film on him. I mean, his film just speaks for itself. It's I think he's better than Will Anderson. Personally, I think he's more of an impact player than Will Anderson. I think it also he fits what we need more. I think we need someone like like him a lot more to Will Anderson. See, all line of Aiden Hutchinson, Ali McNeil, Josh Paschal against the run, Jalen Carter, and James Houston. Oh, damn. You go out in the second round, you go get your linebacker. So you get your guy like Jack Campbell, or maybe you wait, maybe you wait until the third, you get Noah Sewell. You find your linebacker in the second round. Maybe you go back to back rounds, you go linebacker, which you I need would to upgrade on Anzalone for sure. Well, I, I don't have a problem with Anzalone. I think he's oh, a, he's a like, great starter, but he's upgradable for, for a premium position like that. I would not mind a high pick investment in a linebacker. I want to see us go grab a corner early and, on. You think of that eighteen? Eighteen. Yeah. I you know how I want to do this draft if I'm the Lions. I'm going to go Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson because I just I just feel like you there's never too many linemen you can have. That's a position that I think you can stack so high, and you'll need more. Nobody will complain. Nobody's going to complain if you have eight guys you can rotate on your. Yeah, I think that's better than any. And that's why that like 2014, 2015 Lions defense was so successful. You had you had so many guys in that front seven you could rotate and get so much pressure on the quarterbacks. That's why that team is like what top five defense. Yeah, that team should have won a playoff game. That team is the team. I think this team this year is better. I think this team's better. I agree. But 
I think people will argue that statement. I think a lot of us are overhyped. I feel like overhyping this team a little bit, but high winning big games down the stretch warrants high expectations. End of the story. You can't you can't have low expectations this year after what they showed me last year. Moral story is you got to build your lines up. So I'm going line at six. I'm going secondary at 18. I'm going linebacker at 44. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 44. And then at, 50, and at 55, I'm going out there and I'm grabbing quarterback. If Hendon Hooker is there. You're going yeah. quarterback Hooker, that early. Well, I think if Hendon Hooker makes his way out of the first round, he'll be there mid second. And then if we pass up on him mid second, he'll be there in the second second or third day because at that point why is anybody grabbing a quarterback in the second or third round you know what i mean yeah my dream is to get head and hooker there at 55 but even a, a backup situation for me why don't you go out there and you grab a tight end at 55 get a solid tight end in the second round i mean that's a that's a premium position if you have a good one right like there's not many elite tight ends in the league and the elite tight ends have a very short shell life besides Kelsey. Like now i will say we may do with some tight end by committee last year after Hawkinson got traded. You know, Zilstra was one of the guys at three touchdowns in that Carolina game, I think, or one of those games down the stretch. Um, Yep, Rock Riley is another one. I think there's one more guy. But I kind of liked how that tight end by committee worked. And honestly, like, while I am in favor of picking up a tight end in this draft, I I think there's more pressing needs to be addressed than grabbing a tight end here. I'd even be fine with signing another guy in free agency. But at 55, I mean, that's a need of yours. You also need to run. Potentially, you can look at running back. or I mean, Yeah. You you can look anywhere at 55, and I'd be okay with it. Because the rest mm. of the draft, I'd like to see us get two linebackers in the, in the first two days. Personally, in the third round, I'd like to see us get another linebacker. That's a position I think we're, are, we're thinnest at. I think we're thin at guard, too. You can go guard at 55. I wouldn't mind it. I, I just feel like we've put ourselves – in a position where we can do whatever we want. And I feel like unless they pull something out of left field, this fan base is going to sit there, they're going to clap their hands, and they're going to be celebrating on draft night. Because I have a feeling Brad Holmes is going to kill it. And you know who's been killing it? Who? Tigers last couple days. up Oh, let's get into that. Oh, heck yeah. So, man. Dude, this past week, it's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, shocking. I don't know what by what they said to Baez because something must have sparked that locker room with Baez. <laughs> because since that play, I mean, the team has been a completely different ball club. Hinch looks more engaged. That's the first thing I've realized. Like, Hinch doesn't look checked out. I don't know what was said. But ever since that Baez moment, that guy has been a different manager. At, at least he's looked like it and sounded like it. I, I'm curious. What do you think has been going right this whole week? Because I, I think a lot of it's just been better management. And I think another one that's pretty big is when Javier Baez actually plays good baseball, he makes a big impact for you. And he hasn't done that in a Tigers uniform yet. But the last couple of games, this is all I'm going to say. I don't like him. I still stand by he's the worst signing in Detroit sports history. That opinion has not changed. But now that we're seeing Javi is hitting the baseball a little bit, coming up with some wins he's a winning ball player when he's on he is the biggest loser in mlb history when he's off and he's been off 
up until this last week for the last yeah. year, a year and a month. So I'm curious. Those are my two takeaways from this week. What are your takeaways? I think it's something with the team started the mesh together. We knew there'd be growing pains with this team. It's a young team, a lot of guys trying to prove themselves. I think also one of the big things, we're kind of finally finding what our lineup is. And it's taken trial and error. Past couple days, Akil Badu's been hitting fifth. That's kind of wild. I did not expect that. But I am fully on board with AJ Hinch toying around the lineup, finding out what works. And, you know, we've seen emergence of guys like Kerry Carpenter. Carpenter's been great. I mean, starting pitching, that's, I think, the biggest takeaway. Our starting pitching, while they haven't gotten as much run support, we've been spawned on. Erod the other night, just phenomenal game. Turnbull, other than a couple pitches today, you know, that give a three-run shot to Ramirez on a tough pitch after a couple walks. Outside of that sixth inning or fifth inning, whatever it was, he had it. He pitched well. We saw a lot of first pitch strikes. He was pounding the zone and getting guys out. One bad frame, lost in the game. But we're seeing young guys finally emerge. And remember, we're doing this well. We still have Mize. It's probably going to come back not till next year, but Mize is still someone that can help this team in the future. Tarek Skubal will be back to eventually. We've got some young bats in the system that are finally going to be coming up within the next year. I don't want to say that future is bright. This rebuild took way too long. I'm very upset about it. But this last week's been really nice to see finally some semblance of a team coming together. See, I'm not buying into this. You're not? Oh, no. You know what this reminds me of? You remember, I think it was first or second year in the rebuild, Rally Goose? Was it 2016? 2018, I think. 2018, okay. 2017 or 18, but this is the same thing. There, this team lacks talent everywhere. This team really didn't play any offense during this win streak, really, outside of that one Cleveland game where they put up seven. They haven't really been hitting the ball that well. They're they're pitching great, but I mean, how how many times are we gonna watch Matt Manning go out there and pitch a gem? How many times are we gonna watch Matt Boy come out there and pitch a gem? You know, it's not sustainable. Those guys are not sustainable pitchers. No, now, I- Erod, I put him on blast. If you watched, the <laughs> I, I did see that. That was funny. We put Erod on blast for about forty. For it about worked, you know. Do that every week, every time. It he only works sometimes, but he came out there and pitched games like. And if he's gonna go out there and he's gonna pitch like that the rest of the year, which is not, I don't expect it. Oh yeah. If he can go out there and pound these six innings to earn the rest of the season, you just do that for me. I will sit back, shut my goddamn mouth, and let the guy pitch. And I think. You know, after he put up a start like that, which was his best start in a Tigers uniform, hands in a way not even close. I mean, he was pounding that zone. He looked determined that night. Like, he looked like he wanted to shut every Tigers fan mm-hmm. in that game. And he uh, mm-hmm. did a very damn good job at that. I don't think this is going to be the turning point of his Tigers career. I don't. I'm not buying into it. But I think if he turns a corner, we're going to look at this last game and be like, this was the game that started this, like, new erod we'll see what happens i'm not buying into any of this i still think this is, this is a hundred lost team and i don't think oh, this yeah. oh yeah and i just feel like you know, five straight wins is great it's good to experience a little bit of winning after all these years of just five straight losses every other month i mean they, they're playing good baseball carrying the ball well like you said yeah we see guys that it's not going to happen this year. You know, we're not going to have a good year. Like we talked about the other day, if this team gets 60 wins, I'll be happy. I'll be mm-hmm. surprisingly happy. But 
there's signs of something for down the road. And we have guys that can hit the ball. We have guys that play phenomenal defense. Javi today had a great game defensively. Torkelson is coming to become a way better first baseman, learning how to get down and scoop that ball. But this is all stuff that's going to be so big for us down the road once our rotation's more healthy, once a lot of us, we've been drafting in the top five for what, the past like eight years. Eight years. <laughs> we can't miss at all. Avila was a horrible GM. We can't miss on all those guys, though. We're going to miss on Jackson Job. You think so? You think Job's not that guy? Never saw it in him. And, and hey, we would have never signed Javi if we had Marcel Mayer. Yeah. And yeah we, that Javi deal's tough. I, you're never going to be able to trade away. Uh, no, no. What was out. a $160 million contract? Why would he opt out? Yeah, he's he's not he's not going anywhere. If you're Javi or Baez, you're getting $5 million if you leave today. You're yeah, not, he's, he's making like nearly Carlos Correa money. He's not going anywhere. He's unfortunately we have to sit him out for. Well, we're gonna have to write out that contract. And hey, who knows? Maybe he'll rebound, start being a great player for us. Go back to that late Cubs era, Javi Baez type guy. But I just don't see it. Like, what happened to his power? This is a guy that was hitting around thirty home runs a season. And when he makes contact, you know he's always been a strikeout or home run player. But where's the power? Like. It's just America. gone. America Park. He was never a good hitter there. You you do know that, right? Yeah, I mean, that was a big concern coming in. He was not a good hitter at Comerica Park. Now, granted, they moved the fences in this year. Something that, I mean. Not a fan still of. Can't, it has to help. It doesn't matter. This team still can't hit. But it, at least it's not a good ballpark for a power hitter. The fact that Miggy won a triple crown at that ballpark is the most oh, impressive yeah. It is the most impressive feat of all time. The yeah, fat ballpark for you to mash 50 home runs in. Have you played at Yankee Stadium? He breaks or like Baltimore or somewhere, Colorado. Baltimore, Colorado, Boston. He breaks He breaks the record. Barry Bonds' record about five times in his career. I, I think if, let's say, he was in one of those home run friendly stadiums at Hillers Park, if you will, that 2012 season where he won the Triple Crown – he probably hit 60 home runs. 70. You think 70? 70. I can think how many he lost, like, just short of the warning track of Comerica. Like, hits it like that old 420 feet dead center. How many times? Miggy's hit at 415, 418. Balls that would have been gone now in Comerica. That just, that deep center field would eat it up. And it's just a long out. So he, he had 44 home runs that year in 2012. Yep. I think he'd be closer to 67, 68 if he was at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Keep in mind, even at Boston, he remember, he always hits it to right field, and Boston's a ballpark where right field is like the shallowest in baseball. Yeah, yeah that little corner right that field. That little corner, he he would mash. In yeah, and you know, in his prime, you, Miggy would hit it to all parts of the ballpark. You, you throw him outside, you try to pitch away, he's going to take it the other way. He's not one of those dead pull hitters that – so with someone like Josh Hamilton, who was also one of the top hitters of that era. But Miggy got, like, here's my thing. Why do you move in the fences when Miggy's old and no longer hitting for power? Like, why don't we move the fences in 10 years ago to help our guy? Poor guy, bro. And I think we took it for granted. I don't think we realized how good we had it. We did not. No, it's, it's like, what, like kids during that 2011 to 2014 Tigers era? We took it for granted completely. We had we were watching history. The best hitter on the planet, three best of the best pitcher pitchers, 
you know what that that we had David Price, Max Scherzer, Verlander, right. even guys like Doug Fister played like played their hearts out. Like we had such solid players that we just took for granted. You look at this team now; it's just like you said earlier. It, it's massive lack of talent or talent that's MLB ready at least. I think AJ Hinch should leave this offseason. Not, not, I don't think as a fan he should, but I think if I was AJ Hinch and I'm sitting there in, okay. in his shoes, I'm just like, dude, I'm the best. I have a World Series ring. Absolutely. He's a Why great am man. I wasting my time here? They're not helping me in any way win baseball games. I can take my talents to a team like maybe San Diego, or I can take my talents to Philly or some top ball club. You could take your talents there, and guess what? You'll win a World Series. Yeah. Wasting your time. And hey, AJ, your World Series winner, here's more money than Detroit's paying you. So mm-hmm. I'm serious. I think if I'm AJ Hinch, I'm really going into Scott Harris's and Chris Illich's office and saying, like, you got to give me something to work with, man. Like, yeah. you're, giving, you're giving me nothing. You got to start spending money on this team. Like, it needs serious talent infusion here. Like, that's. It lacks talent everywhere. And that, that's been the problem for seven years now. We've lacked talent everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just can't win the games that matter. Just can't. But I also have a, one more point to make about the Tigers. And this is, doesn't even just go towards the Tigers. This goes to the entire city of Detroit. And I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. We just saw the Tigers attendance the other day. There was about 300 people there. Granted, it was 30 degrees. It was a makeup game. But 300 fans, it's kind of embarrassing. They had a decent ball club, a formidable ball club. They probably would have had about 10,000 there, in my opinion. Fair. Yeah. Fair. They would have sold out 20% of the place. So that, that's me being on the generous end. Okay. Also, player survey voted the worst arenas to play out in the NBA. LCA was ranked the second worst. Oh. An anonymous player said there's nobody ever there. Listen, I get it. We're all fed up as a city with losing. I get it. You don't want to show up and waste your money. Spend all the money on parking, beer, food, seats, everything. I, I get it as a fan. You don't want to waste your money. But this city has an attendance problem right now. And it's had an attendance problem for the last couple of years. Well, I think yesterday with that Tigers game was like the prime example of the city having a complete attendance issue. And I get it. Like I'm not showing up to spend 75 bucks at the bar. It's a waste of my time, but I'm curious. What do you think they can do outside of trying to get a formidable ball club or a formidable basketball team on the court? What can they do? to get some fans into the ballpark this summer. You know, we got to look at the whole game day experience. So it's going to, like, I'm talking from perspective. Of, I'm not someone that lives in the Detroit area. I've never lived in the metro Detroit area my whole life. So, like, there's more to – District Detroit, that's a good example. District Detroit, the whole Illich project they said they're going to build when they built LCA, that never happened. Where, like, we had all these, like, designs of what was supposed to happen, never happened. So, as somebody lives two hours from Comerica – for me to go to a Tigers game, spend the money on gas, parking, food, it's a whole day experience. It's not a situation I can just go down to Detroit for a game and just drive. Like, I I, I got to make a whole day out of it. And there's just not enough in the area to convince those folks from, let's say, Traverse City, Petoskey, just up north. It's like, hey, you know, regionally, you're Tigers fans. But 
what's the what's the point of driving down for a Tigers game or a Pistons game when you're going to spend forty dollars on parking when you get there? And there's other than the Greek Town area, there's like not a whole lot of safe areas around the stadium. What are fans supposed to do around the area to make it more welcoming to be at games? Like, also, you're going to go watch a loss at the end of the day, right? You got to build a first things first. You got to build co- competing teams. Then we can talk about everything else to put around it to get fans there and make the fan experience better. But Ford Field, for example, good attendance. But I was there. No, it was probably twenty one, twenty one season when they played the Packers at home. Me and my family missed almost the whole first quarter because security couldn't get their shit together. And oh, everyone's broken. Everyone. Like, it's down like it's problems like that. Like it's not inviting for a fan to be there. It's like. There's so much bullshit surrounding the area, and it's just not well-managed. The whole downtown Detroit is just not a well-managed area, and it's not welcoming for fans to be there. A game day is a full experience. You talk about cities like L.A. Even L.A. is not a great sports market, but St. Louis, all these cities, they have a solid game day experience. Buffalo, look at the Bills. Look at all, like... Boston Red Sox. They have a whole city. Exactly. We don't have that in Detroit, and... I don't know what it's going to take to get that, but until we're there, we have a reason for fans to be there, have stuff for fans to actually do. We're never going to improve the attendance problem. I think another issue is, and I think my buddy in my room is going to completely agree with it. Start nodding your head if you agree, Matt. Okay. Pistons, for example. When Bill Davison was the owner, bobbleheads all the time. They're doing all these giveaways. They were doing all these different things. They're pom-poms to all fans. They were giving out hats. They were giving out mm-hmm. t-shirts. They were giving out jerseys. They were giving out everything for free, and they were getting kids in attendance. And exactly. the kids were invested. And granted, the parents wanted to go because they had a winning ball club. The Davidsons <laughs> built winning, winning basketball in the 2000s and the 90s. But point is, is you go to a Pistons game right now, there's no fan experience. You go, you go there. There's five-star restaurants inside the stadium, which makes zero sense. Yeah. Oh, and nothing's even open there half the time. Half the restaurants are closed. Half of it's closed because they don't have enough people going in the games to keep everything open. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, they want you out of your seats and not in your seats in that arena. Walking around, there was like a million things to do. Now, now the thing about the palace that I really liked was they had the fan experience until – the course bought there was a good fan experience on top of that i fell in love with the pistons because they would do stupid things like like the, the ben wallace hair things yeah. they would go away like they had all these different things they would do to get the it was kids a fun experience it was fun for the parents because the kids were having fun and they were watching winning basketball and hey it was fun for the kids because they, they go to a sports game and have a ton of fun it, it, that's like the the biggest thing to me right now, which is glaring with the Pistons. And well, it's getting worse too with the Tigers. Like you know the College Days promo they do. Yeah, it used to be a hat they give out. Now it's just some stupid bobblehead. Like they're getting worse. They're not doing anything to encourage us to get here. In fact, they're going the other way. Like we're gonna ruin probably one of the few profitable nights for the for the Tigers as far as attendance goes. Like what are we doing? Like you, when you said about the promo saying that you knocked it out of the park because that is huge for getting kids in attendance. And you know what? there's no connection to the city. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, like, they moved to Detroit, the Pistons. And this is my perfect example. You moved to Detroit. Why did you move to Detroit? Because you wanted to build a connection with the city. 
What connection have you built with the city? Nothing. Nothing. You've Nothing. Built- You've lost all the connection that you had in Auburn Hills because everybody who had money to go to the Pistons games lived in the suburbs. Yeah. Now I get it. Now I get it. No basketball team should be in Auburn Hills. I get it. But I liked it personally. Personally, when your whole fan base lives in that area, doesn't it make more sense? I mean, now, granted, like I know they wanted to move to Detroit, but they're doing nothing to get fans into the seats. They like you would have thought when they moved to LCA, they'd sell out a lot of the games in the early seasons, right? Yeah. I think it's pretty clear most people do not like the arena. I think it's pretty clear that the ill just don't care about getting people in seats. Gores doesn't care about getting people in seats. And they have no urgency to win in this entire city. And the Fords were the prime example of. Now, granted, everybody shows up for Lions games. You want to talk about the most loyal fan base in the world? You talk about Detroit Lions fans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sunday, winning or losing, they they show up. Bro is there, yeah. So, say what you want about the Lions. But talking about Pistons, Tigers, and Red Wings, teams that really are like the identity of Detroit when they're winning. Like, the Tigers, when they were winning, was literally all Detroit. When the Pistons were winning in the 2000s, that was all of Detroit. Right now, I mean, there's no engagement. You, you're talking to NBA fans. You're talking to people from here. They all have different teams in the Pistons. And it's sad to me. There's not a lot of Pistons fans anymore. And I think a big reason of that isn't just because they're losing, but it's because they're doing nothing to put fans in seats. Yep. You know, if they cheapen the ticket prices, like I'd rather drop the ticket prices drastically if you're not filling out. I'd rather see common folks if they're paying a few dollars for a ticket, like back in like the old, old days, rather than just having a bunch of empty seats because you price out half your fan base with the ridiculous... Like, LCA prices are ridiculous. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pay that much money to go sit in a nice seat in the Pistons game. Like, if I want to go to a Pistons game, quite honestly, the only one affordable to me is a nosebleed seat. And even that's not a good view to watch a loss. And the nosebleeds there are the worst nosebleeds I've ever sat in. Oh, the nosebleeds at LCA suck. Like, at least in the Palace, when you sat in the 200s, it was manageable. Like, I would sit in the 200s there, and I wouldn't complain. Now, when I go to LCA, I'm not even trying to be, like, entitled or anything. But I'm going to a Pistons game. I don't want to see the players the size of my pinky. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not paying 50 bucks for that. It's not – it's just they price so many people out. It's horrible. And then, on top of that, when you pay for the big games, like the Warriors and the Lakers – Guys just sit out for load management and you spend a hundred bucks on tickets. And so, that's the issue with NBA right there, but and, and that and that's the problem, I think, across the board, the NBA, the players are doing this. And the mm. players are the reason. The players. Okay, now I'm finally gonna start talking about shit about the NBA and why I don't like it. Because I I'm think they paid fifty million dollars to turn title ass on the floor. Yeah, I'm the floor. Sorry. yeah. I'm sorry. And I'm gonna pay fifty million dollars. I'm showing up to my job every day with a smile on my face, whether I like it or not, because I have a million dollar check hitting my bank account every other week. Why 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 wouldn't I walk out? And it's like people spend good money to call like, some kid probably spent good money to come see LeBron or let's say Steph Curry play in Detroit. And you're gonna really sit out. Come on, you presented this kind of what's happening in the NBA right now with this loan management stuff. To a fan from like 50, 60 years ago, they were looking at you like you're like, that's not something that's would be looked at as okay a half century ago. You know, the league's got the league's kind of soft now. You know? The league's lazy. 
watching these, like, okay, I mean, I'm sure you've watched the playoffs so far, a little bit at least. A little. The charge versus block calls. It's it's not fun to watch anymore just because of how soft the league's gotten. Well, it's the same thing in college basketball. They don't know that. Oh, they do that too. Yeah, charge, that's, this is kind of off topic, but that's one thing the NBA, college basketball, NCAA needs to address, charge versus block. I'm and sorry, but just setting your feet call and it. still moving shouldn't be a charge every time. Yeah. You just... Oh, I agree. They, I agree. They, what, they're wrong, I'd say, about 75% of the time. Yeah. It's a guess. They're just guessing. And, you know, we have the luxury of replay. We can sit here as armchair fans say, oh, the replay shows this. But, like, this, this is more wrong so much. This is more of a Big Ten issue, in my opinion. Yeah. Because I, 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 it's not as watching the NBA. I think they're a little better in the NBA. But at least in college, man. It's been rough this playoff. Watching, I mean, watching Bo Brewski, Borski, whatever the fuck his name is, trying to call a charge in Big yeah. Ten. Basketball. Oh, no, I mean, it's garbage. I mean, I've had an issue with this. I think it's just the charging issue. It's just been an issue across yeah. the and, and it's even worse in the high school level when the refs just love to call it. It's just an issue across the board. There's no definition of it. Yep. It's just, you got to define the rule a little better. So, well, the, it's so fast. The play is so fast. Oh, it is. But as I am a referee, I referee yeah. shop, I referee baseball. I baseball. It's, it's our job at the end of the day. It's our job to get it right. It's so hard to call a, in soccer, see the penalty kick, whether in the box, was it right outside the box. At the end of the day, we're being trained, we're being paid to get those calls right. True. You know, it's like baseball with umpires. We make mistakes, right? I'm sure you've made mistakes. I've made, I've made a ton of mistakes refing soccer, but you it's not something that you can be getting wrong multiple times a game. Those are important calls that you know, you make two or three wrong charge block calls. That's the game right there. They, that could decide a game. That oh, could decide one season. Yeah, 100%. Well, Jad, we got to start wrapping this up. Right, for sure. Thanks for hopping on. You did great. Always today. a pleasure. It's been a blast. Yeah, I'll talk. Um, I'll probably be back later in the week, Thursday, Friday, sometime. We'll, we'll talk more sports. So I'll see you guys back later in the week.